Thanks for listening to the GCC Sermon Podcast. We'd love to meet you for worship on Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Celebrate Christmas Eve with us at a Christmas Eve candlelight at 4 or 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Visit georgetownchristian.org for more info. Hey, Georgetown, good morning. And Merry Christmas! Hey, we have been reading Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, and then you've been saying God is with us at the end of that. So let's do that again. I'll read the first part, and then you know your part. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means... Yeah. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. And uh, we'll go through 28, verse 10. Uh, A couple of things as we get started. I'll review the last few weeks. But um, hey, uh, worship arts team back there. Beautiful lights. Um, Hey, guys. Hey, uh, so I just tried this new thing today. And they're being so very gracious. But um, Dr. Tanner likes to do her Bible study where she pulls out the YouVersion app and hits play. And then she also reads it in her Bible like it reads it to her. And so maybe some of you do that as well. Uh, So I thought, you know, this week as I was preparing, I want to try that a little bit. And so I was listening to the New Living Translation, and it was awesome because it had voices and sound effects, and it was just amazing. So we have kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. We have these two segments of text this morning. And uh, worship arts, are we good to, like, play those and see if it works and whatever? It was like a huge surprise to them because I'm very organized. Uh, anyway, they're awesome and flexible. So we can, on both sections, we could just play the video. But we had a lot of fun for a service when it didn't work. And I, I think you guys might want to have that same fun and because we're reading about the shipwreck that Paul is in in Acts 27. And as I read Acts 27, you might want to do what first service got to do. And they got to make a bunch of windy, stormy noises. So by, by show of that's the windy, stormy noise. By show of I would like to hear, if you'd like the video, let's be silent. So remember, two sections of text. We could, on one of them, read it together and make the noises. If you would like, however, to just hear the video, let me see your hands. Okay, now if on the first section of text, you would like to make the noises, let me hear you make a storm. All right, it is very clear that we're going to be making the storm noises. That, okay, I thought there was a cow. It's not a tornado. That's a Midwest storm, Midwest, and uh, this is Mediterranean. So we don't have cows flying, uh, at least according to the word. Maybe I don't know, maybe it was crazy. It was a typhoon, so... Who knows? All right, so in our very first week of this series, God With Us, uh, we understood that we may enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know him intimately in the valleys. In our second week, we discovered that your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. And last week, we discovered that peace comes from the presence of God. This week, as we travel through Acts chapter 27 and the first 10 verses of 28, we're going to be asking the question of the text, how does God, 
use the storms in our lives for his glory and for others' good. So sometimes we encounter, we just want to develop this idea of storm really quickly because it's sort of uh, multifaceted this morning. Sometimes in life, we're going to encounter a storm. And so uh, in, in your life, you have maybe already this last week, maybe coming up this next week, you're going to encounter this little tiny, I would call it a microcosm of a storm. But in the moment, it feels very much like a storm. And that storm is the same for everyone who's ever hosted Christmas at their house. And that is, hey, I forgot to let you know that old Cousin Joe's coming. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, Cousin Joe, not that Joe's a crisis, but Cousin Joe is, it's great that you're going to have him, but it's a gift exchange. And everybody has a name on a gift. And everybody's gift is already named. And now you've got Cousin Joe. And furthermore, it's Christmas. And so we have the invention of the white elephant. Yeah, because you run to your bedroom, you pull stuff out of the closet, you jam it in a bag, and you're like, I got this just for you, Cousin Joe. I'm pretty sure that's where it came from. And so that's just a tiny little microcosm of a storm that we're talking literally and figuratively about this morning. So another storm that may just blow through your life all of a sudden is this relationship that you have enjoyed for so much of your life. This relationship has given you life, encouragement, enjoyment. It's helped you grow into who you are, and just like that, it's on the rocks. And you had no idea it was coming, and as far as you know, it's not your fault. Or maybe the storm could be a health-related crisis that you had no idea was coming, and is actually not your fault, because you are the pinnacle of health, but you have a health storm all of a sudden. Maybe for you, it's like a place that you work, and work is great. In fact, you still have your job, but it is suddenly that your job pays 20% less because of cutbacks. A storm is something that blows into our lives, and it's not necessarily your fault or my fault. It's not because we failed to plan or because our plan failed. It's, it's typically the case that a storm blows through our lives largely by the actions of someone else. So how does God use the storms in our lives for, for his glory and for others' good? So a literal storm in my life. I think I was probably in the third grade. Uh, Dad can correct me if this is wrong, but we were Cub Scouts and we were camping out and third grade is about nine years old. And a lot of what you're doing in the third grade as you camp is you're just learning what you forgot to pack because you were given a list and because in your infinite wisdom you didn't read the list, you just packed the stuff that you thought you needed, which was 16 pounds of M&Ms, a pair of socks and whatever you were already wearing. So that's sort of how we packed for this camp out. And uh, we were at this camp out when after dinner, it started to sprinkle a little and there was no rain in the forecast, but after after uh, it was raining. And so we retreated to our tents and ate like half of our M&Ms while the wind picked up. And you have to understand the tents that we're in were donated to this camp probably from World War I, maybe the Civil War, maybe. Uh, and the tents were probably this tall, and they were canvas, and they were on a frame, and the sides just hung down because gravity was doing its job every time I'd ever been in that tent before. Only now, there was a lot of wind, a lot of rain, a lot more thunder, and even more lightning. 
And so we went from uh, in this little tent with two of us to four of us because we wanted to die together, I guess. Or maybe they forgot to pack their M&Ms. Whatever. We were all in this tent and the sides are flapping and we're thinking we are going to die. Quick, eat all the M&Ms. But in a tent like that, there are no children who go in during a storm and think, there is no God, because at the, in the midst of that storm, they are for sure praying, God, please save us. Was that about the third grade, Dad? Was I like nine-ish? Yeah, right. So was that? Yeah. And so right around that age, we all uh, crammed in the tent, and then uh, the good news is, hey, guys, we didn't die. Uh, I'm alive. Yeah, so I didn't, and here I am still today not dead. So that was a massive storm that was not our fault, for which we were not prepared. And there may be times in your life that you live through a storm that is something like that. And you think, I'm not prepared. All I have is like 10 pounds of M&Ms. So we're encountering Paul now in Acts 27. And I, I definitely heard you guys say that you want to make the storm noises, right? You guys are ready to rock. So the way that we find ourselves here with Paul on a ship traveling to Rome is that Paul has been under arrest because he's preaching the gospel and stirring up those who are against it in every town he goes to. And he has appealed to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, that is your right to be heard by Caesar. So because of his appeal, Rome is now providing him transportation to preach the gospel. And along the way, he keeps preaching this gospel. Now we're on the ship with Paul, and y'all have to be ready with your shh as we encounter different levels of storm, okay? So when I thought I heard a cow over here, maybe it was just a very enthusiastic storm. I need an enthusiastic storm, but I'm going to need it later in the same group of verses. So initially, let's just have some light winds when you hear the winds. We had several days of slow sailing. After great difficulty, I'm reading from Acts 27. I've started in verse 7. And in case you want to follow along in your scriptures, after great difficulty, we finally reached Sinaitis, but the wind, not, not a typhoon, okay, that's good, was against us. So we sailed across Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island, past the Cape of Salmon. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and have finally arrived at Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. We lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And I didn't know this until going through this for today, but evidently after September 15th, it's not a good idea. And after October 15th, you're definitely taking your life into your own hands. So they're sailing on waters they know are going to be rough, but it wasn't Paul's choice. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it, because Paul does that. He'll talk. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, danger to our lives. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than he did to Paul. Oh, the nerve. Imagine this captain. I would have made the same choice. And since Fair Havens was an exposed harbor. It was a poor place to spend the winter. That meant the winds and the waves would be coming in and crushing the boat. They did not want to spend it there. Most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete, and winter there because it was a good harbor. When a light wind began blowing from the south, was that the south wind sound? Okay. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So 
They pulled up anchor and they sailed close to the shore of Crete, but the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength. Oh my gosh, there is a cow in this one. Called a northeaster, burst across the island. It blew us out to seas and the sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind. So they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Caudia where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being pulled behind us. When the sailors bound ropes, imagine this. When the sailors, then the sailors, bound ropes around, like passed underneath the ship to strengthen it, they were afraid of being driven across a sandbar of citrus off the coast of Africa. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. Yeah. The next day, gale force winds! Holy smokes, the cows are back. Continued to batter the ship. The crew began, listen to what they're throwing over. They're throwing cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear. You need that to sail. They threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days. Still a cow in this one. Blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Storms pop up in our lives. They're unexpected and they're not often our fault. So how does God use the storms in our lives for his glory and for the good of others, I present to you number one, three points today. Number one, never mistake the presence of a storm for the absence of the Lord. Paul writes it this way to the Corinthians, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despised life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. But this happened, read this with me, Georgetown. This happened that we might not rely on who? Ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's it, stop there that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. So how does God use the storms in our lives to, to, to glorify himself and to, to bless or benefit others? Number one, the, the storms, if we don't mistake the presence of the storm for the absence of the Lord, then then it's possible that our hope can be recentered on the Lord versus wherever we had placed it before. If you are anything like me, it isn't until my hope is recentered on the Lord that I begin to look back and find where I had mistakenly placed my hope. I'm an American. You guys might be able to relate. Sometimes I'll place my hope in people or things, because I'll consider some of those things as resources. 
maybe like a policy that I've kept up to date and I've paid in full, and I'm sure that it will ensure me against every storm in life that I encounter. But when it doesn't, my hope is recentered on the one Lord alone from whom our hope should, should come. It, it's, it's in the storm that we remember that God is with us. The storm centers our hope on him, but only when we do not mistake the presence of a storm for the absence of the Lord. Number two, it may be in the midst of a storm that God speaks to you. Number two, it may be in the midst of a storm that God speaks to you. I don't think there's any wind in this one, so just hang on. There might be. I'm reading from verse 21. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, now note that now the crew's listening to Paul, and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. This is uh, not how to win friends and influence people. Uh, You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down for last night. An angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you surely will stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. (laughs) Let's have a snack. Okay, so how does God use the storms in our lives for his glory and others' good? Well, number one, we can't mistake the presence of a storm for the absence of the Lord. Our our hope is recentered on him in the midst of a storm. We remember God is with us. And number two, it may be in the midst of a storm that God speaks to you. So it begs the question, how does God speak to me? Because when you heard those storms earlier, cows and all, all of that, you weren't hearing the voice of God. Were were you? Was anyone hearing the voice of God? I, I don't think you were hearing the voice of God. I'll just tell you, I'm pretty sure you were not. So how is it then that we might hear the voice of God in the midst of a storm? And as much as 50 billion people have asked me, how do I hear the audible voice of God? Let's try, to, let's try to place the whole of Scripture into some relative context of time. Uh, in Scripture, I believe there's probably about 4,000 years of human history recorded, and now it's about 2,000 years old. There you go, basic. Uh, but within that canon that we believe is holy, inspired, and authoritative Scripture, we see a couple of times across 4,000 years that people audibly heard from God, Adam and Eve and Samuel and Job and Joshua and Moses and Paul. And so now you and I, we uh, sometimes become ignorant of how much history that covers, how much history there's even been since then. And I don't think we're purposefully ignorant. I've done it myself. But we look back at that and we begin to think, I should hear from God audibly. I'm very holy. I should hear from him. Did you hear the amazing wind sounds I made this morning? 
I should also hear an audible voice from God. But I'm telling you that typically it does not work that way. There's nothing in Scripture that says he cannot do that. God will do what he wills. But typically, let's go quickly through four ways that God might speak to you because it may be in the midst of a storm that God speaks to you. So number one, God speaks through his Holy Spirit. Number one. This is the words of Jesus in John. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Also in John, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. Number two, so number one, how does God speak to us in the midst of a storm? Number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two, God's word, scripture. Isaiah 55 says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Paul writing to Timothy says, all scripture is what, Georgetown? It's God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness that every man or woman should be thoroughly equipped for good work. So God can speak to us in the midst of a storm, number one, through the Holy Spirit, number two, through God's Word, number three, through our conscience. I'm going fast through these because we have to get back to the storm. Paul writing to Timothy, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and good conscience and sincere faith. Peter writing says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. God can speak through the Holy Spirit, through his word, through our conscience, finally through events. Do you notice that the men of the crew started listening to Paul? events even like storms god can speak through this will not be on the screen but you may have it memorized it's james chapter one i'm starting in verse two consider it what consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face what georgetown trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, what should he do? He should ask God who gives it freely, and it will be given to you without judgment. Events, even events we view as bad, as storms, can speak to us. I still hear those storms going. Peter writes, in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, though gold perishes, though refined by fire, it may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So God can speak to us in the midst of a storm. And he may choose to use his Holy Spirit, his word, your conscience, and events to do so. And he may choose to speak audibly. 
It has never happened to me. The Lord may choose to speak to you in the midst of your storm. Number three, our last point, and I want you guys to hear, although you're phenomenal stormers, we're going to try to hear uh, the scripture, but number three, your shipwreck may be your neighbor's rescue. So this is just the version app, and it is uh, the New Living Translation. So uh, worship arts team, let's try it. Let's see if it works out this time. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore, so they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then, the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, You will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please, eat something now for your own good for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely to shore. Now we're going on to chapter 28. They wanted to kill the prisoners because if they escaped, they would be killed. Well, I think we're going on to 28. If we're not, we'll be reading together. All right, we're not. All right, that was actually me that gave them the video that doesn't go on to chapter 28. So... Here we go, Georgetown. We're going to verse 1 of chapter 28 of Acts. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold. Are you ready, Georgetown? And it was rainy. Kind of sounds the same as windy, doesn't it? And it was rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks, he was laying them on the fire, and a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. And the people of the island, they saw it hanging from his hand, and they said to each other, A murderer, no doubt! Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul... Swifties? What did Paul do? That's right. Shake it off. And Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed, and the people waited for him to 
swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they'd waited a long time, they saw that he wasn't harmed. They changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonged to Publius. Here the we now. Belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and he treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius' father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, laying his hands on him. He healed him. Then all the other sick people in the island came and they were healed. And as a result, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. Luke revealing here that he's on this trip. As he's writing Acts, he's on this trip with Paul. Your shipwreck may be someone else's rescue. I've shared with you about the time that I wrecked my Jeep over and in a lake in the woods, and it was bad, and I broke my arm, and it was all terrible. And I told you that I felt like I was going to die, and it wasn't so much in the woods as much as it was in the hospital, because in the hospital is where we discovered that I had a much bigger problem than just a broken arm, because that frankly was fixed the same day that I got there. I went to surgery, they fixed it, and my arm wasn't broken anymore. It was all better. But for the next 10 days, I laid in a hospital bed that I actually began to believe was killing me, when in fact, it was like, I think the technical term was like um, nasty, woodsy, muddy germ uh, is what I had. And it was like inside my arm because it was compound fracture. So it was in there and it was making my fever go up to a gajillion, million, billion, made me kind of crazy. And it made me think my hospital bed was killing me and that also I was actually going to die right there in that hospital. So that was a place where I thought, for sure, I was going to die. I didn't. I did not die. I'm here, not dead. So uh, just to state the obvious, not dead, but the really great part about this is that God used my wreck and can use your storm, your shipwreck, to possibly be your neighbor's rescue. Now, how does God do that with me? Well, some of you guys may not know, I'm a pastor. Uh, so I'm a pastor here, actually. I'm a pastor. So you guys, uh, did you know that? Uh, so pastors, they'll go visit people, guess where? When they're sick, where will they go? The hospital. And uh, in the hospital, when you're really sick, you're going to lay in a bed. So imagine now someone laying in a hospital bed who has some unknown diagnosis, and you can't have a cure without a diagnosis. And so they're just laying there kind of helplessly thinking, I'm dying, and maybe going crazy and thinking, actually, this hospital bed's killing me. Well, who does God make a pastor and send into that room? Someone who's lived that life, friends, Jesus Christ, is the person whose shipwreck became our rescue. Will you allow your shipwreck to be the rescue for your neighbor? Georgetown, it's, uh, it's time to wrap up this morning, but I want to read this from Corinthians, and I want you to read it with me when I tell you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Georgetown, I need your help right here. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So when you hoard your shipwreck, 
You are not sharing the comfort you've been given by God, but by God's grace, because God is with us. Maybe your shipwreck can be your neighbor's rescue. I believe God wants to use the storms in our lives, Georgetown Christian, individuals, the body of Christ here gathered. I believe he wants to use the storms in our lives for his glory and for the good of others. But it's only when we believe that in the midst of a storm, Georgetown, God is with us. If we live as though he's missing, if we allow the presence of a storm to convince us that he is absent, our hope will remain on whatever garbage we've placed it on, and it happens as a drift, but it will stay there, and our community will never see the hope we have. But Georgetown, you were made by a community, a triune God, for a community, a family, to be a member of a community, this church, for the benefit of a community that is not here. Georgetown, when we place our hope in Christ alone, when we live as though God is with us, they see the light that you and I have seen. They feel the peace that we enjoy. They experience the hope that we have in an eternal Savior who is the only way we'll ever be saved from our terrible sin. Georgetown, if you have not taken a next step to place yourself in a biblical community, under the teaching of a person who is called by God to open his word and to steward that word to you, we begin in January, but you have got to choose. I do not want any more phone calls about someone who said, I feel like my life is destroyed. I am adrift. I am falling under the surface of the waters. And when I ask them, in whose elective are you? In which life group are you? In which men's or women's study have you been participating in? And they say, oh, I've just been really busy. I leave church and I go to breakfast. They go to breakfast. Please don't choose breakfast over biblical community. The signups are in the lobby. The signups on the other side of the church. We need you to sign up so that we know because our community is coming on January the something of 7th. They're coming on January the 7th because like so many Americans, they're going to want to set some goals. And those goals are going to be something like, I need to be more like Jesus. And just like them, you and I, we need to be more like Jesus, but he's given us this gift of his body, the church, where we become more like Jesus, but only as we place ourselves under under the teaching of someone called by God to teach in a biblical community, then when the storms of life come, we will, we will have burdens borne by others. We will be the church that, that Paul describes as, as not just muscle and bone, but all the way down to ligaments and tendons Imagine if my finger would not do this because I don't have a flexor. My hand would be almost worthless. There may be someone at Georgetown Christian today worshiping in this community who has not joined themselves to it. There's a membership sheet that you need to put your name on in that lobby. 
There may be someone worshiping here with us today who has not put themselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ to say, he is my Lord and I need him as my savior. Friends, if that sounds like you, then as the praise team sings, I invite you to come. Today is the day that you need to take that next step to become a part, an effective and functional piece of this body of Christ or to place yourself under his lordship accepting the free gift of salvation. Friends, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, I know this service is going to end, and I don't know what you've placed on people's hearts, what you've done in their spirit, what you're calling each individual to, but I know that you are unifying your church. Father, you are building up your church into maturity. Father, you are bringing us together in love and unity for your glory and for the good of Georgetown. Father, would you push us to the next step? Would you help us to glorify you by faithfully taking the step that you have laid on our hearts that must be taken that we may be more like Jesus? Father, we thank you for the free gift that you've given us in him. We celebrate that this season. Help us to live as though you are with us in every storm. That we might have shipwrecks that are other people's rescue. That you might speak to us in the midst of a storm. Father, that our hope would be squarely placed back on you. That the presence of any storm would not indicate your absence in our lives. Father, that this, this body and this wider community of Georgetown would know that you are with us. Glorify yourself in this church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.